Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 61. Uh, I wanted to say, first off, sorry that there's been a uh, longer break between episodes. Um, I'm not really sure what the issue was. I think uh, I think Josh was out of town, then I think just poor scheduling on my part. So, um, so sorry for the sorry for the long wait. I'm sure many of you are just uh, just fidgety about it. So, uh, and speaking of Josh, I will welcome him in now, my co-host. Josh Long. Josh. Hey, everybody. How you doing over there? Doing all right. All right. Got a little paper here with some of the notes what we're going to talk about. Just sitting there. You know, I keep waiting. I keep waiting for the day when I say, Josh, how are you? And you say something like really insightful or like really just great. Something that says I belong on I this show. I don't think that's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get your hopes. I'm losing hope. Yeah. You are really making me lose hope. So thanks that's for that. That's okay. So um, our hope is in, is in Christ. That's right. It's not in you. Shouldn't have hope uh, in Josh. You. <laughs> no. uh, and that was my, that was my problem is my, my hope was in you. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. A lot of people How did that, that happen? Problem. That's, that seems like a miscalculation on my yeah. part. Yeah, I'd say so. I think I might have misinterpreted something in the Bible. <laughs> well, I, my name does have the same root in uh, in Hebrew as the name Jesus. So, oh, Yeshua. Uh, could be you made that mistake. That's what it was. Yeah. Especially in the Bible, it says Yeshua Long of North Carolina. It's really strange. I have an odd translation. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's some kind of prophecy. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, can you imagine if you were the fulfillment of a biblical prophecy? Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> that's, oh, you put some kind of hex on me to get you on this show so hey. that you could reach the masses. <laughs> Little did you know that this show does not reach masses. <laughs> so, um, okay. So, uh, I'm trying to think if there's any like uh, formal announcements or apologies. Or apologies. Oh, you know what? There is one. Oh, is there really? I just yes. said that because and uh, it's like yes. word association. If you say formal, I think apology. Uh, or I think ap- I, I, I. You mean you think of a tire? What, like a, tire, a single like tire? <laughs> no. Okay. Formal comma a tire. <laughs> no. Oh, formal tires. What would they look like? <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, uh, my Battles of Pretension co-host David Bax was listening to our last episode. And he uh, brought up something. He wasn't offended. And this, and it was something that I usually am pretty good about, but I guess I just kind of skimmed over it in the last episode, which is um, I differentiated between Christian and Catholic. Mm. Christian is the larger umbrella, and then there's Catholic and Protestant. Uh, I'm usually pretty good about making that distinction. Uh, so I don't mean to say that Catholic is not 
uh, Christian. I know that a uh, friend of the show, Tom Wilson, would be furious if I had said that. Um, but uh, but yeah. So if you were uh, if you happened to catch that and you were uh, offended or anything, I, I apologize. I did not get any emails, so I assume uh, no one was offended. Even David wasn't offended. But uh, but yes, that is something that I try to be sensitive to. So anyway. Um, I, th- I think I will say that uh, on the website right now, there is a sermon that I posted from uh, our pastor um, about, he did a series about the Sermon on the Mount, and then the very last sermon in the series uh, is one of the best sermons I've heard in a long time. I'm very, very, uh, I was very excited to hear it, and I believe the title of it is uh, Those Who Choose It Are Few, and uh, and it's about the... Uh, the narrowness of God and the narrowness of truth and of Christ and that sort of thing. So um, if you have the opportunity, go in and, and listen to that. It is posted on the website, and I'm a big fan of that uh, of that sermon. So, uh, okay, as far as uh, today, <laughs> I, in the in the. In the night, the long tradition of us talking about movies that nobody has seen. And thus, really, just having a conversation between the two of us with mics, um, we are not going to be talking about a specific movie today. Uh, we'll be talking about three films, and they are films that are all that have all been uh, written and directed by uh, Thomas McCarthy. Now, uh, I knew about Tom McCarthy as an actor, uh, specifically kind of a I, I this is almost a too reductive a term kind of a bit player like uh he i don't think he was ever really the lead uh, of anything and he would have like slightly larger supporting roles but never like like a really meaty supporting role and so um he would just kind of show up and he was all, he was a dependable actor um probably the most notable uh character that he has been able to play uh is a character named i believe scott and I think the last name is Templeton, but I'm not sure about that. In the very last season of The Wire, he plays a, uh, a very ambitious uh, reporter. And, uh, and yeah, and so it's, it's always interesting to me when, and we've talked about it on the show before, the, uh, when an actor, you know, writes and directs, and, uh, but then they can still continue to act, and clearly that's how they are funding their films, uh, because it's, I, this is this is a little abstract, but it's always neat to me that like I could watch Good Night and Good Luck, and I could see Tom McCarthy in the background somewhere. He really only has like one real scene in it, uh, in which he talks about like his his wife or his ex wife having like you know gone to a meeting uh, of you know socialists years before, mm-hmm. um, and just thinking like. Like, oh, that guy, uh, that guy made three movies that I love. Like, you just don't think of it. It's, uh, it's hard to explain. I but, like that he's in a movie about McCarthyism. Oh, brilliant. I didn't even think about that. See, this is why I brought you on. <laughs> so, um, that was it. All right. You made your contribution. So put the mic down. <laughs> um, nice to, nice to sort of help you all for just a, a little while. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, uh, he's a uh, a filmmaker that I whose work I just really respond to. That I mean, it, I'm sure if you've you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you're able to determine that there are certain types of movies that I gravitate towards, and they tend to be character pieces with strong dialogue, 
great performances. Um, technique, fine. Uh, you know, although at the same time, you know, my favorite movie of 2010 was Black Swan. So that's a lot of technique and all that. So, so I can go one way or the other, but I, I do tend to really like kind of quiet character pieces where a lot of the uh, emotion is sort of under the surface and, and it really gives the actors something to, to sink their teeth into. And that's, that's what uh, Thomas McCarthy does. And, and when, when watching his films, I feel like you can tell that they were written and directed by an actor because there are, in each film, there are at least three or four really strong characters that you can relate to. You may not like them, but you can relate to them. And uh, I don't know. It's just uh, he's just a filmmaker that deserves a second look. He's gotten a little bit of, uh, well, he's gotten more, uh, bigger budgets as as time has gone on. But he's gotten a, he's gotten a bit more of acclaim since uh, his first film, which we will talk about right now. Uh, it is called The Station Agent. And it came out in 2003. And uh, I think probably the most notable thing about it... Well, I mean, it's notable because I I think it's a very good movie. But as far as lasting legacy, I think it's the film that put Peter Dinklage on the map. Uh, I believe he was nominated for a Screen Actors Guild Award for it, oh, uh, but not nominated for an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Peter Dinklage has gone on to be in 30 Rock. He was in Elf, uh, Elf that year. Uh, I believe. And then uh, he just won an Emmy for Game of Thrones. He's one of the more memorable characters on that show, which I've not seen. Um, He was on the cover of some magazine recently. Was he? As whatever his character from Game of Thrones is. I I haven't watched the show at all or read the... The books? Graphic novels or books? They're books. Books. You're thinking of uh, 300. Oh, that's... I get them mixed up, too. That's the one. Um... But uh, so that is like, as far as like a lasting legacy. That's that's I'd say what the station agent is. And uh, but it got some critical uh, acclaim at the time. Um, and I think I I think I watched it on DVD when it came out. So I've I saw it a, a long time ago and uh, really loved it. Um, it has a very the the story is very simple. There's not much of a of a plot. It is it is mostly uh, about character and yeah. relationships. Uh, so Peter Dinklage, for those that don't know, uh, he is a dwarf, and so um, so obviously the character is a dwarf, and that is a big part of uh, of the film. And he lives in the city, and he just keeps a, a pretty quiet life, uh, and then and he works in like a model train store, and when and he really hangs out with just one guy who works in the store with him and I think owns the store. And when that man dies, he leaves uh, Peter Dinklage's character named Finn. He leaves him a train depot uh, in just this uh, remote town in New Jersey. So, um, so Finn, now with his last real tie to humanity gone... Uh, he walks along the train tracks and starts living in this train depot in the middle of nowhere. And you really do get the impression that he just wants to be left alone. I believe he even declares it in the film. Um, He does not have a phone, does not desire a phone. He does not like to go out um, because he's very aware that, you know, eyes are on him. Mm -hmm. Even if they're not mocking, you know, and there will be people that mock him, but just just walking around and knowing that 
people will give you a second and possibly third look, even if they don't say anything to you. Yeah. Um, and the movie shows a lot of scenes where he's just walking around and people just kind of look. And, yeah. But they don't necessarily interact. And then a, a scene where uh, he's at a store and the uh, storekeeper uh, takes a f- takes a picture of him because clearly she's never seen a dwarf in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so he just wants to, le- uh, you know, live a quiet, isolated life. Uh, but he encounters two other people in the town, one played by Patricia Clarkson and one played by Bobby uh, Cannavale. And the three of them strike up an unusual friendship. And after some time. Right. Because, and that's, that's one of the things that I like about the film is that even though it is uh, fairly short, um, it takes its time. They, They don't just fall into like, okay, well, this is a film about, Friendship, so we better get to the friendship. You know, we better get to the action of the film. <laughs> um, uh, it 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 does take its time, and and there are personal uh, there's personal stubbornness on the part of Finn and and the other characters um, that needs to be overcome. And uh, Patricia Clarkson is an actress that I've liked uh, a lot uh, in in her career, and I believe this was the same year that she, I think she was in three notable film she was in a film called pieces of april uh which is not a very good movie but she was nominated for supporting actors for it uh and she and even though the movie's not that good she is very good in it as a woman uh who is uh, dying of breast cancer and um spoilers is she dying i don't she has breast cancer i've seen it but i don't remember what happens yeah i don't i don't either i don't think she dies at the end anyway she has breast cancer uh long story short so you don't really need to see the movie now. Um, so, and she plays uh, this woman uh, Olivia, who is kind of a hippy dippy, rather clumsy, uh, bad driving uh, artist <laughs> who is divorced, and you find out over the course of the film that she has uh, lost a son mm. um, uh, two years prior. And there is, I like Patricia Clarkson because she just is able to suggest a lot with very little um there really is are are only a couple of of moments where the character overtly talks about her son and Mm -hmm. talks about you know her sadness and all that and even then it doesn't talk about it very much no but patricia clarkson is able to suggest a lot just with her eyes and the way she delivers her lines and you really just get the impression this woman is so fragile that you're just like oh i don't want to like if you were to push her at all uh not physically of course but uh, verbally that she could just fall apart mm-hmm. um and uh, and i really love uh patricia clarkson's performance um and i and i like peter dinklage as well um as we've seen in in other films like yes elf and um, a, a little known film uh, called find me guilty which is a Sidney Lumet film um and what I've heard about Game of Thrones, Peter Dinklage can be a very forceful actor. He has a very strong voice. And, yeah. uh, and in spite of him being, you know, smaller than most people, he has just a presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's a very, uh, very magnetic actor. But in this film, he manages to play that down and, and play a quiet, subdued, uh, isolated character. So the pressure's on somebody 
to kind of inject some life into the film. And that's where Bobby Cannavale uh, comes in. And so I don't mean to uh, dismiss Peter Dinklage or Patricia Clarkson. They both turn in great performances, and you need their type of performance. Uh, but Bobby Cannavale as Joe is just a... I feel like I've met someone like him before. He's just a just a good-natured guy who wants good things for everybody <laughs> and is a but is also obnoxious <laughs> yeah he he doesn't seem to want to give up early on in the, in the movie he's he's kind yeah. of he's kind of indomitable because all the times that finn seems to not want to be his friend it doesn't seem to it just doesn't seem to click with him like yeah he'll ask so many times like oh you mind if i hang out with you or mind if i go to that how about we go for a drink and he's like no that's all right and he's like okay well how about i bring you a drink and he's like <laughs> no that's all right he just doesn't, uh, I don't know if it's that he doesn't get those verbal cues or he doesn't care. Yeah, and that's, and it would be very easy for a character like that who is seemingly kind of oblivious to be annoying. Yeah. And at times the character is, I don't even, I don't think I'm ever really annoyed by him, but it's just like, I just sometimes don't understand him. That Like, how yeah. can you be so optimistic? Um, and you find out that his father... Uh, is sick you never totally find out what with uh i do they specify cancer but he's anyway he's sick with something and so uh so joe who normally lives in new york so now joe has to stay in this uh, little town in new jersey to look after his his father um and you can tell he's he's a good son and he does care about his father um because he will drop things He'll, he'll drop whatever he's doing if he has to go uh, take care of his his father. Um, mm-hmm. But he is uh, his spirit is not uh, dampened by this turn of events, um, even though he says that uh, his father is driving him crazy, and he <laughs> met, and even incorporates it into a prayer um, <laughs> with some language. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's his. His uh, stubbornness or obliviousness—that's uh, really what makes the. That's sort of the glue that holds these fr- friendships together. Yeah. Um. And. And that's really that's really what the what the film is about. There really are not a lot of story developments, uh, except that. There's a like there's a scene. It's a very you know, simple scene where Finn, who's gotten to a point where he starts to trust Joe, he, Joe invites him out to a bar. And as Josh said, uh, Finn does not want to go and, ha- and has refused in the past, but this time he says yes. And mm-hmm. so he, he meet, he goes to the bar and, uh, but then Joe is not showing up. And so Finn finds himself, uh, in kind of a, crappy situation where this girl played by Michelle Williams um, uh, that he knows uh, gets in a uh, an argument that uh, that physical argument with her boyfriend and and Finn tries to tries to stop it and the boyfriend like like pushes him and and all that and Finn being a smaller guy like just falls pretty easily and Mm -hmm. and he's just very upset and now he's angry at Joe and it turns out that Joe wound up having to do something with his father. His father was not doing well, and so Joe had to take care of him and, and that sort of thing. And so Finn, in that moment, feels as though, 
okay, uh, this is about what I thought it would be. Uh, if I trust somebody, if I if I change my routine even a little bit, mm-hmm. I'm going to get uh, screwed in some way. Yeah. Um. So. I've been I've been kind of outlining some of the some of the story and the character uh, and that sort of thing and obviously I enjoy the film uh, a lot because it seems fairly organic to me in how the relationships uh, evolve and progress uh but uh when I asked you about uh you know your reaction to the film you said that you liked it but didn't love it um what uh, what was your reaction to the station agent 2003 <laughs> 2003 is the station agent. Um, I, I enjoyed the connections between the characters, and I liked um, I liked sort of the the way that all of them kind of had different their different personalities. Each added something to their relationship. Um, I felt like early on the movie relied a little bit on uh especially in the first few scenes relied on Olivia's and Joe's overwhelming desire to get to know Finn and the I guess serendipitously small town that they just seem to run into each other every day um which might might be a possibility. It didn't seem like that small of a town to me in the film, and maybe that's, uh, I don't know. That could be just my reaction. So just there were a few things that seemed a little bit contrived in them all coming together, but then after a point, that doesn't become an issue anymore. And it 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 seems that these these characters probably would have come together in this way anyway, even if it hadn't been for maybe the filmmaker's hand coming in a little bit to stir things up. So I, I'm I'm fine with that, and then, um, yeah. And I liked about it the way that uh, I, I think it, it's very natural the way that Finn goes to a new place, seems to have sort of a negative outlook on life, but he may even to himself be thinking, "All right, I'm you know I'm moving forwards," like. Mm-hmm even though he knows he's not, doesn't have friends anymore, really doesn't have people like in his own mind, he's keeping it together and he's moving to this new place. He's like going and following the trains, which is what he likes to do. Like he's adjusting kind of in his own way, but he's not realizing how important it is to have people around him. Mm -hmm. Um, so much so that he, uh, fights against it at first. Yeah. Um, and then, ultimately realizes how much how much there is to gain from that and there's a there's a i guess he deals with that inherent sacrifice that comes in being close to anybody that you have to give up something of yourself and uh i don't know i like the way that i like his journey in discovering that and it's the idea of of joe and olivia sort of going out of their way to uh, befriend him. Um, I felt like with both characters, it seems like the kind of thing they would do. Um, Olivia, for reasons that become plain later on, which is, and I I say this uh, with no smile on my face, but that she lost a son, and now she 
their their uh, sort of uh, friendly meet cute uh, involves her uh, almost. He's walking along the road, and she almost hits him with her car because uh, she, uh, I think, drops something, and so kind of swerves all over the place. And she wants to take care of him and make sure he he's okay and all of that. And it's a very motherly instinct, and him being smaller and being you know a, a dwarf, like you do sort of feel and later on when she and when the two of them are sort of arguing she says i'm not your mother and it's like well he clearly has never thought of her as a mother she might have thought her of herself as as a mother mm-hmm. um and i think she says like you're not a child and it's almost like she's saying it more to herself than to him mm-hmm. and so i think in him she finds something that she can latch on to like a, a feeling like she he's getting something she's getting something back that she lost um and then with joe clearly he just needs a friend mm-hmm. uh, he needs someone who will listen to him and since finn is not much on conversation uh it's a perfect candidate mm-hmm. uh so it it feels like i said it feels organic to me but yes it is you know there's a lot of coincidence of like oh they happen to be going to the same store at the same time and that kind of thing mm-hmm. um but uh, you know, I'm w- I'm willing to accept that uh, that sort of thing. Um, you know, there's suspension of disbelief, and uh, there are sometimes when I'll I'll watch a movie and there'll be coincidences of people running across each other at just the right time, and and it feels false. Mm-hmm. Uh, this I don't think it ever felt just completely false to me. Occasionally, it would feel as you said, like the filmmaker's hand was kind of on things, mm-hmm. but it never felt like just patently untrue. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so one of the and we'll, we'll talk more about this as we go on and talk about uh, the other two films one of the themes that Tom McCarthy is very interested in and something that he just returns to over and over is the idea of the uh, what I think I referred to on Battleship Pretension when I was talking about his film Win Win uh, the makeshift family uh, they're like Bobby, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Joe, played by Bobby Cannavale, um, he has a father that we never see. Uh, Olivia has a son that is gone and an ex-husband that we do see, played by John Slattery from Mad Men. Um, we do see, but the, it's a very uh, troubled relationship and, and all that. And so she doesn't really have a family, and Finn certainly doesn't uh, have a family anymore. And so... So they sort of make up their own little little family. Um, and they certainly are friends, but they are, I don't know, the way they are knit together, it just feels, I don't know, for some reason I find it very, not even heartwarming. Heartwarming sounds too, I don't know. Precious moments. Yeah. But it is, it's, it feels so good to see people caring for each other and recognizing that they're each flawed people who have had stuff happen to them in their lives. Um, I mean, Finn, to my knowledge, has had no real tragedy in his life, but he, his life is different than most people's because he always feels the eyes on him. And he mm-hmm. talked about, he, there's a scene where he talks about being angry. Uh, when he was younger, he was angry for being a dwarf and just feeling everybody watching him all the time and uh specifically he says something that i that i find interesting he's like you know if only he goes 
in truth, I'm actually a very simple, boring person, but mm-hmm. no one will ever see me that way yeah. because I'm this, they see this. Mm-hmm. And because of this, I'm clearly so fascinating. <laughs> and so he doesn't say that. That's, uh, that's me paraphrasing. But, um, and there's, there's no moment when Finn or Olivia offer to like help Joe with his father, mm-hmm. but they are there for Joe to just talk to. Yeah. Um, even though he doesn't say like, I need to talk to somebody about my problems. Like he doesn't say that, <laughs> but, um, he just needs a friend. And then Olivia certainly needs somebody there for her because she is, ve- she's very alone and does not want to be. Um, she's not quite as outgoing as Joe is, but like she in the, in two years has had her family just torn apart, uh, through tragedy. And so, in these people coming together, they are, and this, uh, I'll bring up the first, uh, the first of the Bible verses today. Uh, they are, it's uh, Galatians 6, verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, so I feel like they are carrying each other's burdens. Um, and, uh, and that's one of the reasons that I like the character of Joe so much is because mm-hmm. he doesn't really prov- give them any burden to carry except the the weight of himself (laughs) and so um and so the idea that uh you know something that we can take away from this as christians and as people because to my knowledge none of these characters are christian uh, although joe does pray um is that uh you know sometimes carrying another person's burden just means being a friend to them and just being there for them Mm. even not in like an incredibly heavy-handed way like hey man i'm here for you but just being there just physically showing up and listening and talking and all of that like and i I feel like that's one of those things that we need to remember as as christians and again as as people as well but uh that carrying someone else's burden is different than fixing their problems i feel like sometimes when we have people in our lives who are dealing with something well sometimes our way of of uh helping them is to say, well, you should do this or you should have done that. Or Mm -hmm. like, well, if you just, if you just pray about it, you'll be okay. I think that's a thing that a lot of Christians say that, that is not, uh, while it may be true, that's certainly not carrying someone else's burden. Like, I mean, if you, if you take the physical metaphor all the way, if you see someone who's carrying something very heavy and, and you say to them, well, you know, if you pray to God, he, he, he can do anything. He might make it, not feel so heavy yeah um and that's not very helpful to a to a person so um the idea of actually being there alongside with someone and dealing with it as they're dealing with it is 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 a very particular thing and i think it's something that we should try to exemplify in our friendships and uh yeah and speaking as i'll I'll bring this this example up because it is uh the most clear-cut example uh, from my life, which is, you know, of course, when uh, my uh, father passed away, there are people who didn't know what to say. And indeed, when I've had friends who have experienced a, a loss, it's even though I had experienced one, there is an instinct that you want to say something that will make them feel that will make them feel better, you yeah. know, Um almost like an easy answer but there are no easy answers and nine times out of ten that person just needs somebody just even in the same physical space maybe not even somebody to listen because maybe that person doesn't feel like talking but they just 
just knowing that someone is there with them mm-hmm. um, and isn't going anywhere like that can be sharing the burden because it's not that's not the type of burden that that person can actually share yeah. but they can be there with you as as you're you know as you're as you're trying to to bear it so um so yeah that's and that that more than anything is what i get from the station agent is it's people who just recognize the importance of for lack of a better term community just being with another person i mean there are scenes where finn and joe are just sitting and reading mm-hmm. <laughs> well ostensibly they're reading and then joe starts talking because that's what he does um and then Finn pulls out his his watch and and uh, I think Joe says like I wasn't say- I didn't say anything Pretty for like twenty time. minutes yeah. and then uh, Finn pulls out his watch and he's like it's been nine minutes he's like <laughs> you were timing me he's like yeah he goes oh that's cold <laughs> um, but uh, so there and there are moments by the way obviously there are moments of uh, of comedy in the film mm-hmm. and uh, there is a mo- <laughs> so we. Finn uh, is a train enthusiast, and that means various things. But one of the things that it means is like uh, we see bef- before his friend passes away uh, early in the film, we see a scene of him going to like a train enthusiast club where somebody, uh, played by uh, actor Josh Pice or Pace, I never know how you say it, um, is showing footage from a train that he was on or following uh, and narrating it. And it's, it's hilarious because it's, and it's clear based on people's reactions that uh, when, when members of the, of the club, when they show their films, they're not always narrating it. Certainly not as much as this guy. (laughs) And so like you, you get, you're treated to the, to him saying like, okay, so as you can see, we're approaching a tunnel. Okay, we are now in the tunnel. This was one of the darker tunnels in Canada, <laughs> and just uh, which I, I laughed out loud at. But um, so it is a funny film, but I wouldn't go as far as say it's a comedy. It's a dramatic film, but I have a hard time saying it's just pure drama. Um, it's it it really is. I guess the the term that is sometimes used is kind of a slice of life type thing, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it doesn't push too hard in any direction which makes it uh, a film that i feel is very easy to watch and easy to uh, engage with um but i would not go so far as say that it is slight because these are real characters dealing with real issues mm-hmm. so uh we'll move on to my favorite film of 2008 which is the visitor now it's been a while since i've seen it i can still speak about about it in in a general sense uh, i think i've seen it a couple of times but you saw it just today josh i saw it this morning this morning mere hours since i've seen this movie so uh so i i've done a lot of the talking uh, in this episode so far so i'll let you this is your time to shine don't blow it <laughs> golly gosh gee <laughs> uh i will let you talk about the visitor all right and go well um, my, here's my favorite thing about the visitor is that I made a short film in about 2006, I think called the visitor. I was wondering if you were going to bring that. Yeah, up. I feel like I had to. And that's actually also on IMDb. So if you search for the visitor, you get two two hits. One of them is a film that I directed a short film. So first of all, 
Is that short film available anywhere? Where can I see that? Uh, I believe you can. I think it's at... Uh, the guy who produced it has a company called Chapter 2 Studios, I believe is their name. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if you go to chapter2studios.com slash the visitor, I believe it might still play. It did at some point, but I don't know if it still does. Um, maybe we can post it on the website if it works. Absolutely. Uh, and that that film in itself is a little, a little slow at times, but... Uh, Mine. But it's a short film. How can a short film be slow? Well, you'd be surprised. Sounds like a real flaw in the filmmaking there. Well, it might be. <laughs> <laughs> I um, insult my friends. <laughs> uh, but this other movie that uh, Tom McCarthy stole my title, uh, this one uh, features Richard Richard Jenkins as the star of the film, which is cool because he's an actor who's mostly a character actor. So when he gets to... I always like it when a really talented character actor gets to play a, a solid lead in something. And he was nominated for Best Actor. Yes, he was. Year. So not only did he do a great job at playing a leading man, even though he's normally a character actor, he was recognized for his efforts, which is cool. Um, and the story is about... Uh, he, he plays a man who... Uh, Again, is sort of aimlessly wandering through life. I think that's how a lot of, uh, I guess, all three of these movies, our main character starts sort of uh, not completely depressed, but not completely happy with his life either, mm-hmm. um, and often sort of searching for something. And so, uh, Richard Jenkins' character, his name is Walter. Just saw this movie, and I forgot for a second. Um, Walter uh, is a college professor. He has uh, he lives in Connecticut, but he has to go to New York for a uh, for a conference. He has an apartment that he keeps in New York, but when he shows up there, there are people living in it, which surprises him. But um, since they seem to not have very much money and not very much very many possessions, and I guess have been sort of tricked into thinking that his his uh, apartment was available, he feels a little bit of pity on them and he lets them stay. And so as they stay there, he starts to build a relationship with them. And before long, after less than less than a fortnight later, uh, <laughs> it's two weeks. But then I remembered that uh, two weeks is the same thing as a fortnight. So I just go with that. Right. Am I, am I remembering that incorrectly? I'm regretting this. Not just having you on the show. But, but like specifically I, letting me I, talk about yeah, this movie, I threw it to you. So then, then there was this. There was one shot where there was like a telephone pole that was really <laughs> interesting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go shot by shot. I'm oh, kidding man, about the telephone pole thing. So, um, so yes, less than a fortnight later, uh, uh, the one, the the man of the couple that's staying in his house, uh, the man's name's uh, Tarek, he is stopped in a subway, uh, it's kind of like as a, as a fluke, and it turns out that he doesn't have proper identification, and it turns out that's because he's an illegal immigrant. Mm-hmm. And so he is taken into a detention center, and um, his his girlfriend, who's also staying with Walter, uh, Zinab, I think was her name? Zinab. Yeah, we don't remember. Uh, she she can't go to visit him because she's an illegal as well, and so they they're kind of thrown into this bad situation. And Walter, even though he hasn't even known them for that long, decides that he's going to to try and help them. Mm-hmm. So most of the rest of the movie is about him 
the commitment that he's making to both of them and to doing what he can to try and help Tarek. Yeah. Um, and during the time that the, the uh, fortnight that uh, Josh so self-satisfactorily mentioned... Mm-hmm. Um, I was pretty satisfied with myself. I could, yeah, I could tell. I, if only this were a video podcast. Man, if you could see that face. It I was, was uh, really horrible. I did not like it. Um, but during, during that, that time when uh, Walter and Tarek and Zanab, they're all living together. Um, Tarek, who's a very charismatic and just a, just a kind of a genuinely good man, uh, he helps bring Walter out, sort of out of his shell. And one thing that Tarek does is he plays the djembe. The djembe, which is, one could say, a bongo drum. Now, I know that's not what it is, but that's what you'll think it is, and then he will correct you. So I needed to say bongo drum so that you knew what I was talking about. It is, in fact, called the djembe. Moving on. Uh, so Tarek uh, actually helps Walter come out of his shell by like helping him to start playing the djembe like yeah. in public and uh, Walter's very self-conscious of course because he's a rather upright guy and uh, keeps to himself he's he's a bespectacled college professor yes. like he doesn't look like the sort of person who would play an African drum uh, and I also believe that uh, Walter's wife uh, has died not necessarily recently but like within the last couple of years I believe right probably and I, I feel like uh, I really liked that note of of Tarek teaching him to play the drum because, uh, as you said, his wife had died maybe fairly recently, and she was a concert pianist. Mm-hmm. And so the, the film actually opens with a piano teacher arriving at, at uh, Walter's house to try and teach lessons with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't go so well for him, and he tells the teacher they won't be doing any more lessons together, and she, out of curiosity, asks how many other teachers he's had, and he says four. Yeah. So it it the film suggests that after his wife, who was a pianist, leaves, he's trying to somehow connect to that to that thing that he's mm-hmm. missing in in uh, having lost his wife, no. and somehow isn't able to connect that way. He just, he can't seem to learn the piano and so it's an interesting uh development that someone teaches him another instrument um to sort of i don't know help him connect to an which ends up helping him connect to another person mm-hmm. which is sort of what he's looking for in the piano lessons yeah uh and then a character named i i believe it's pronounced mona who is Tarek's mother mm-hmm. uh she shows up once uh once he is uh imprisoned and she and Walter develop a certain, you know, I don't think it's a romance or anything like that. I think under different circumstances, they might see each other that way. But as it is, it, it goes back to what we were talking about with uh, the station agent. He just, she is so worried about her son and she has no one aside from uh, Tarek's girlfriend uh, to really turn to for comfort. There's only so much that Walter can actually do, although as, as you know, an American citizen, he can do more than any of these other people can do. And it should be noted that he is clearly wealthy, and so he has mm-hmm. the money to do a lot of things that they might not have otherwise. He has the money yeah. to hire an expensive immigration attorney. He has uh, the money to go on 
indefinite furlough or extended leave or something leave of absence that's what mm-hmm. it is um while he tries to to help smooth things out so yeah. uh i think that's i think that's an important factor to the film even though the film might not un- might not even understand that importance and so uh, Mona and Walter like make a connection. I think partially because of their age, because they're both uh, middle aged, and um, and I, I the the actress who who plays Mona, uh, I'm probably going to mess this name up. I apologize. It's Hyam uh, or Hyam Abbas, and I really like what she does. I like the scenes that they have together because I remember I remember just being so just quiet and full of understanding. Like you really get the impression that these people have lived life. And when I say live life, I don't mean like, ah, they've lived a robust life. I mean that they have experienced what life is, the ups and downs, the, you know, the peaks and valleys. And so not unlike what I was saying with uh, Patricia Clarkson, what she brings to her character, uh, these two manage to convey a lot with, you know, a little, not that, not that uh, Tom McCarthy like gives them like minimalist dialogue or anything like that, uh, but they just seem to understand more than what the other person is uh, is directly conveying. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love those scenes. And, and there's a scene where um, where they're laying in bed together. It is not a sexual thing, uh, and Mona and they're. You know, doing the the spooning thing where he just has... That's the word, right? Doing the spooning thing. That's yeah. how they say it. Doing the spooning thing. That's that's a dance, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, so Walter, you know, has his arms around Mona. And again, is this could be a romantic thing if the circumstances were different. As it is, she just needs to be comforted and he is in the position to comfort her. And incidentally in holding this woman for probably the first time in years because uh, his wife is gone, he is getting comfort out of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, we return back to this idea that he is trying to carry her burden and she maybe unknowingly is sort of carrying his, but then also he's, he's doing everything he can to take care of uh, Tarek but then on the uh, Tarek also is taking an interest in him and trying to help him uh, be less uh, isolated and and that sort of thing. So uh, it really is like a mutual thing, and they do once again develop uh, a sort of uh, familial quality with uh, Walter as, Walter and Mona as the like mother and father, and Tarek and uh, Zanab as you know uh, son and daughter. And so, uh, I, th- I think, um, yeah, we'll read a couple more. We'll read a couple more, uh, Bible verses. So this is, uh, Matthew five, verse 20, uh, 42, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Uh, now that is in a larger passage that talks about loving your enemies. Um, but you know, we, Josh and I live in, uh, Los Angeles and I lived in Chicago before here. And so big cities where there's a fairly large homeless population mm-hmm. and you're going to get people saying like asking you for money. And I try to give a little bit where I can, but I don't always have it on me and I feel kind of bad about it. But, um, 
but there is you know a cynical part of us maybe not even a cynical part of us but a realistic part of us that says like they're probably going to spend this money on drugs or alcohol or something like that and so i just won't give them anything um and uh and that's the thing is i don't want to judge anybody who has that attitude because you know perhaps a, a certain homeless person will come up to you and you can smell it on them and that kind of thing like i don't want to make it about that but i feel like as we as we walk down the street and as we encounter other people looking for the opportunity to help somebody and then when somebody actually asks for help being excited for the opportunity to help them not so that you can feel better about yourself but because um but because of course crisis has helped us but also just you know, this is what it's about. I mean, carry each other's burdens. And in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And, uh, and I feel like that's something that Walter, he, he's not necessarily reluctant to help out Tarek. Uh, I think he wants to help him out, but, um, I certainly don't think he knows quite what he's getting himself into as far as dealing with government bureaucracy (laughs) and that kind of thing. So, um, but but, he does, he does seem to do it, uh, without, reservations he seems right. to, to offer up his help yeah just out of altruism and that's nice to see yeah um now did you i mean i assume that uh based on your your description some of the stuff that uh, you've been saying i assume that you enjoyed the visitor that you liked i it? did yes what I, did I, you what did you like about it uh i feel like i liked the structure of this one a little more than i did with the station agent mm-hmm. i felt like it it fits together a little more. Um, uh, yeah, I, th- I thought the. I mean, it just shows the the structure and pacing of a of a more seasoned filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's he's only one movie deeper, I guess it just it, I can see a little bit of development, and I really like that. And mm-hmm. again, I really like the. Uh, the Richard Jenkins' performance is really, really is fantastic in this film. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think it helps to have a character or have an actor who is a character actor who doesn't look like, say, Brad Pitt. Like, mm-hmm. when Brad Pitt gets angry about something in a movie, I feel like there there, there may some, be somewhere in our minds we're thinking, well, that guy's too good looking to really be upset about anything. <laughs> like, look at him. He doesn't look like a regular guy who's going through regular problems. And so, I mean, that's seriously when, when he's being chased by sharks or something, or like he's in a speedboat and has to get away from the Russian mafia. I, I believe that I'm like, all right, this is the kind of guy who this sort of thing's happening to. But what movie are you seeing <laughs> where Richard Jenkins or some other character actor is being chased by Russians in a speedboat, and no, there's no. sharks after. No, him. I'm saying Brad Pitt. Oh, okay. Yeah, that happens in a Brad Pitt movie, and that's fine. You're like, okay, Brad Pitt's the sort of person who has to run away from the Russian mafia. But when it's like, is he the sort of guy who has to like help a friend get out of, you know, a detention, an illegal immigrant detention center? Uh, I feel like an actor who looks more like a regular guy. Mm-hmm has more gravitas in that way somehow. And that is something that you will find in Tom McCarthy's films is, is they're almost always, in fact, I'd say they are always, uh, peopled with character actors and ma- and that's cause that's what he is. Yeah. You know, um, he seems to have a, a heart for that, mm-hmm. uh, to touch on the Brad Pitt thing real quick. I will say that, uh, somebody like him, 
because uh, I think he is a good actor, I do too, as we no. know, f- uh, as we know from Moneyball. Yeah, but I, don't I think mean to to disparage Brad Pitt at all in that. But I I do agree with you that it's it's like oh, this uh, good looking superstar is upset. Uh, I think Brad Pitt also is just at his best when his because he's a charismatic actor and he brings something to the screen, no, no question. Um, when the character he plays sort of matches him. Yeah. Like in Moneyball, he is first off a former ball player. Mm-hmm. He's also the general manager of the team. People are looking to him. People in the city know who he is. There's a celebrity there. Right. And, you know, when he gets really upset and temperamental, that does sort of fit the profile of like a movie star. Yeah. Uh, assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Jesse James is the biggest uh, celebrity in the country at the yeah. time. And so it makes sense. You know, like I'm a big I'm a big proponent of going ahead and casting somebody who brings something aside from their talents or even what they look like. Yeah. Just they bring a certain cultural significance uh that's one of the reasons why um casting like in in uh, revolutionary road casting leonardo dicaprio and kate winslet in the roles about this marriage that is just terrible um some people say it's very cynical and it and it is that it's like the biggest love story of our time is titanic oh, yeah. and then you recast these two lovers and it's just like oh what if jack hadn't died in titanic <laughs> oh this is what so it, how it turned out yeah. and so um but yeah no I, I agree with that and that's that's one reason that i like justin timberlake and the social network so much absolutely it's that same sort of casting and um i think one of the earlier people to do that although maybe i'm i'm missing other things i just can't think of but is it would be quentin tarantino would often cast people that mm-hmm had some sort of because of a a icon iconic status that they have or some kind of social stigma to them anyway which then lends to their to their uh to their performance yeah somebody like uh like a pam greer exactly jackie brown yeah um but yeah but in casting somebody like a richard jenkins someone that we've seen it, it Walter is is kind of an everyman. I mean, he's intelligent. He, as you said, he has more money than most people, and so he's not truly an everyman. But it's that idea of we with character actors. There's a there's that that idea of like, oh, hey, it's that guy. Mm-hmm. You don't know his name, but you know you've seen him before. Yeah. And so, in casting an actor who very much is that, yeah, or or was that, I think, eh, you know what. If I were to say to my mom, what's that actor's name? She couldn't tell me. Exactly. And that's usually how I go is, <laughs> would my mom know who this guy is by name? Uh, but she would say like, oh, no, but I've seen him before. Yeah. And so the idea of casting character actors in lead roles, it is almost, and, the t- and in these types of movies, it's almost like saying like, everybody has a story, even the people on the street that you, or the people at the store that you recognize you don't know their name. You don't know them personally. That doesn't mean they don't have a story. And in the same way, it's like, yes, even these character actors that you've seen a million times before, even they can rise to this challenge and even they can play somebody who, ha- who is three-dimensional, has a, a whole story to them. Um, and that's, uh, I tend to like that, that kind of theme, which is why, side note, I tend to like a lot of uh, like Robert Altman uh, uh ensemble cast stuff mm-hmm. is because it, it sort of gives everybody their due, especially a movie like uh, shortcuts or Nashville. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so we will move on to a movie that came out last year called Win-Win. And this is definitely Tom McCarthy's, uh, I'm going to say, biggest budget. Mm -hmm. And I will also say his most mainstream film. Uh, To a certain extent. So I I own the movie on Blu-ray. I think Jen got it for me for my birthday or for Christmas. And if you look at the if you look at the packaging of it, it's so fascinating because on the back you have uh, Paul Giamatti. Well, in the front you have Paul Giamatti, and then this kid uh, played by Alex Schaefer. And on the back you have both of them, and like the kid is like. You know, he's got his hand raised above his head in victory because he's won uh, a wrestling match. And he's like looking at the camera with a smile. And Paul Giamatti's like smiling. I'm like, that's my boy. He's not his father. But uh, it just has that quality to it. And then like it says on the back, it says like win big on Blu-ray. And it's just like, I've already bought it. Why are you trying to pitch it to me? Um, But nonetheless, like everything about it has this like, all right. Like clearly this is the film the studio wants Hmm. is this inspiring thing but first off it's rated r and like everything about how they're how they marketed the film was this upbeat inspiring dead poet society-esque which is the thing that i go to for a studio inspiring um rudy blindside um (laughs) stay tuned in a couple months uh like they want it to be this thing they want it to fit into this mold and i think the film does not uh it's rated r for language i'd say uh not that language means a movie can't be inspiring but it does mean that not all audiences are going to see it and so so already like the film is limiting uh its its audience to adults uh and not 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 that I know a lot of 13-year-olds are like, uh, let's go see that inspiring film. Um, but uh, I don't know. I've, I've, it's been a long time since I was 13, so who knows. Um, but also, it's not a film purely about this kid who showed up in this guy's life and, and changed it through his sheer athletic prowess. <laughs> like, there is that, sort of, but it's, it's so much more. Mm. Uh and it fits in exactly with with what uh, Tom McCarthy does, and what I'm going to assume he will be continuing to do. Like he has clearly set out what his film directing, uh, I don't know what his trajectory is going to look like. Um, but so I'll I'll give uh, a quick summary. Um, I believe this one takes place in New Jersey as well, and Paul Giamatti and Amy Ryan are a married couple. Uh, named Mike and Jackie Flaherty. Uh, He is a struggling lawyer who does not have a great deal of money. And so one of his clients, played by Burt Young, in an actually a really good performance um, as a guy who is kind of suffering from dementia. And so you feel like, well, how can I really engage with this character that much? But he actually, Burt Young really makes it so that you can. Um, So Burt Young does not have any relatives that are, that, uh, Mike can can get a hold of and he like I said he's starting to suffer from dementia so he can't really be let you know he can't really take care of himself and so the state has to do something 
And so Mike decides, and and Burt Young has his character has plenty of money, but he just doesn't want to like pay to go into a home or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so Mike, needing some money, volunteers to be uh, Burt Young. Character's name is Leo. Mike volunteers to be Leo's guardian, which comes with a fifteen hundred dollar a month check from the government. So what he does is. He gets the check, but then he uses Leo's money to put Leo in a home. So that he gets the check, but he's not actually taking care of Leo. Yeah. And um, so it's, you know, wrong uh, morally and probably legally, right? <laughs> I think so. Um, so uh, so it's, it, it's in his, uh, his dealings with Leo that he runs across a kid named Kyle, who is Leo's grandson. Uh, the two of them have never met. Because Leo is estranged from his uh, daughter, Kyle's mother. And uh, so when Mike and Jackie meet Kyle, who's a teenage kid, um, but is he's a very, he's like a nice, polite kid, uh, very unassuming, very soft-spoken. Uh, and they just sort of take him in because they can't find his mother. And he has come here from Ohio, and he can't really stay with Leo because Leo's staying in an old folks' home. Mm-hmm. And so they just sort of take Kyle in, and they're not really sure what else to do. They keep trying to get in contact with his mom, but his mom, they come to find out that his mom is in rehab for like four weeks. So they just figure, okay, I guess we'll keep the kid for four weeks. And so they enroll him in school, at which point they discover that Kyle is very good at wrestling. Mike is the coach of the high school wrestling team, which is bad. It is a bad team. <laughs> and then Kyle, as it turns out, is like a wrestling champ from Ohio. Yeah. And so he joins the team and, uh, you know, uh, leads the team to victory and, and, t- and sort of inspires some of his teammates as well. Uh, so that wrestling aspect is what the studio seems to want you to latch on to. <laughs> and that is, a, that is a big part of it, but not at all the biggest part of it. Yeah. Um, the biggest part of it is the Flaherty's taking care of Kyle. Uh, but there are other characters as well. Bobby Cannavale is back as uh, Mike's. He's back. he's back and he's better than ever. Back in action. Uh, and he plays Mike's like high school friend named Terry who has just gone through a divorce and seems very bitter and actually kind of latches on to the wrestling team clearly because he needs something to do. And though the character is really obnoxious and not quite as likable as he is in uh, the station agent, Mm -hmm. I found myself feeling bad for him because like, Oh, he needs something like, uh, and then Jeffrey Tambor doesn't have much of a character to play here, but he is the assistant coach of the team. And I think uh, a fellow lawyer in uh, Mike's firm, Mm. Or a business partner of some kind. Uh, and then Melanie Linsky uh, plays Cindy, Kyle's mother, who shows up later on in the film. Uh, and so, it's just... The, again, it, it's... Uh, I was going to say it's the same old story, but that makes it sound boring. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes it sound like Tom McCarthy's just repeating himself. But it's just people from different walks of life just coming together through just a series of uh, events... And then realizing how much they need each other when they didn't totally realize that they needed anybody. Um, and so you get uh, Kyle, who does not trust people. Again, he's very soft-spoken and can be very polite, but he does not trust other people. Yeah. Uh, you get Mike and Jackie, who, you know, they've got financial troubles. Like, Mike 
gets he does this wrestling thing probably because he gets paid and his yeah. practice is struggling and he doesn't need one more, and he, they already have two children they don't yeah. need one more but uh so bringing in Kyle like actually inconveniences them a great deal but uh but he does need a, a winning team um <laughs> But once, and then Jackie, uh, Amy Ryan, I think does it. The, the whole cast is, is very, very good. But uh, Amy Ryan is one of those actresses that uh, is kind of unsung. Uh, she got some fame by being on The Office. Uh, and then she was nominated for an Oscar for Gone Baby Gone. Uh, well-deserved nomination. I think she probably should have won. Um, and, uh, and I get a really strong sense of their marriage in mm-hmm. the film. And... And she very much is like she's tough, but she also cares very deeply for the people around her. Uh, and so she sees what Kyle she sees almost immediately what Kyle is going through. And uh, she's very upset at his mother and says she wants to beat the crap out of her and <laughs> stuff like that. Um, and so when Kyle's mom finally shows up. Uh, having gotten out of rehab and played wonderfully by Melanie Linsky because this character could have been just a straight up villain. Yeah. Uh, but you see that she is a wounded, a deeply wounded person who is kind of incapable of emotionally taking care of somebody else. Not that she, not that she can't, I don't want to free her from responsibility, but that like she's, she's been thinking of herself for a long time and she's, you know, trying to get, trying to handle like a drug problem and stuff and so like she's having a hard enough time hold it holding it together just for herself but she does recognize that she's supposed to love her son Mm -hmm. but she just doesn't really know how and so uh but she shows up and she wants to become the guardian of her father even though they have a terrible relationship and she wants to take kyle back and then they will all go to ohio kyle does not want to go back Leo doesn't really want to go back, but can't really speak for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then it becomes uh, clear that uh, this woman, Cindy, really just wants the $1,500 a month. Right. And so that, so she, it puts her at odds with Paul Giamatti, not because, not only because he wants the money, but because he recognizes that uh, this is not the best thing for Kyle. And so, uh, so that's the, that's basically the film. Um, I won't necessarily say how it ends because it's a fairly recent film, although if you're listening to this, you've probably seen it. Um, but nonetheless, uh, it's uh, it's it's the uh, probably the largest cast. It is the largest cast that he's worked with, with of mm-hmm. of developed characters. And the way they just kind of all work uh, work with each other is something that I found like that to me is the inspiration, not that this kid is winning because that doesn't because at at one point he loses and then the then that part of the movie's over and there's like another 20 25 minutes left. Um Wait a minute, he can't lose. This movie's not called Win Lose. Or yeah, it's there's two wins and I think yeah. you see him win twice. Okay. And then I think the then it loses interest in that. Cuz he loses. So it should be called Win Lose Win Lose Interest. Watch out. Um but uh but yeah so the inspi- to me the inspiring thing is is people who have their own problems but nonetheless they and we'll return back to this they carry each other's burdens they they try they recognize this person is in need mm-hmm. and so I will do what I can to take care of them um 
even though that you know like that's one of the things that i like about the film is that mike is not a good guy like he's yeah he's risk he's breaking the law he's risking his license so that he can get some more money and he's not telling his wife about this by the way because yeah. he doesn't want to worry her but also my <laughs> guess is there's some personal pride going on there yeah um and so but that but that this guy who's doing stuff that is kind of selfish admittedly it's also for his family but he's doing selfish things um can be selfless when it mm-hmm. comes time uh that to me is very inspiring yeah and i feel like that's kind of a christian message in and of itself that we we tend to feel like well i'm not you know we're not good enough to do these good things like that's you know we're we're fallen people and that's all we're ever going to be it's like well and and we look at people in the bible and we're like well we're never gonna you know look at those guys they got it all worked out and it's like they don't look at king david like yeah. a man after uh, god's own heart and uh, he did horrible things he did and so, but God was still able to, to use him. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, he can use us as well. So, uh, win, win, you and I saw it together in the theater. That's true. Uh, what did you, what did you think of the film? I enjoyed the film. I, I thought, uh, yeah, again, I thought all the, the performances were solid. And again, it's, it's cool to see a character who, uh, in so much trouble already and with so many, uh, burdens really already is willing to take on something else, and I'd be interested to to see exactly what the what the filmmaker might say is the reason that Mike makes the decision uh, to to keep uh, keep keep taking care of Kyle because at mm-hmm. first it's because of the uh, uh, because he wants the the team to win mm-hmm. um so there's a selfish aspect immediately but but something something changes in him and i wonder if the filmmaker would say that well it's purely because of just the connection in the relationship and and how people can be changed by having someone else who relies on them in some way or mm-hmm. um i don't know because i feel like sometimes other films have this this uh they sort of portray this idea that sometimes you just meet someone who's just so magical they can't help but change your life. Mm. And I don't really get that feeling here. Um, so it's, it, it does seem different than that because that's something I don't like so much because I think that belittles it. Um, right. To be like, well, the reason that these this person's life changes because they met this one particular person and this one particular person is amazing beyond all those regular dumb boring people you meet every day so it's almost as though uh like the film is lacking a scene where somebody's like you're changing that boy's life and he's like no he's changing mine exactly yeah those are lines from the blind side stay tuned in a couple of months (laughs) yeah so like i but i Part of me wonders if maybe there's just something inherent in the filmmaker and knowing that that sort of story is sometimes told. And so because we know that that sort of thing happens, does that just, does it inspire us because of something that we already know? Or I I don't know. I don't know what specifically he would say it is. Um, And he might say, which I think is probably the truth about it, is that... um, because we're made to be in community with other people, we 
I think we grow when we are just in spite of ourselves sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we, when we extend ourselves to other people, when we, we, uh, sacrifice things, I think oftentimes it. I don't know. It, it changes who we are either by kind of expanding our, our purview or, or just, I don't know, giving us some kind of experience that allows us to not be able to think the same way again. And I, th- I think when you really commit yourself to any kind of relationship that can happen. And I think also when you find that somebody is starting to trust you and they're willing to trust you, I think you suddenly realize like, Oh, I need to be trustworthy. Yeah. It's a responsibility. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it is worth noting, I don't want to put too much to this, by the way. It is worth noting that uh, Mike and Jackie are uh, churchgoers. Uh, we see them uh, in an early scene uh, in church. Uh, we don't know how much of an impact that's having on their life, because uh, obviously, like, Mike is doing uh, this dishonest... Again, I don't know if it's illegal, but it's definitely dishonest mm-hmm. uh, thing. I'd venture to say it's probably not legal. I mean, if you are the guardian, the legal guardian of somebody, you could still put them in the in a home. You could, but shouldn't he like? I feel like there was part where he should have contacted the the mother because she is the living relation. I feel like living relations have to sort of sign off on saying no. I don't want to take care of this person. He did uh, early on when he's when Leo is merely his uh, client. Mm-hmm. Uh, he do, he did mention. Um, that he has tried to get in touch with the daughter, mm-hmm. but uh, but she is uh, unavailable. He yeah. couldn't find her. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. It's it's fuzzy anyway. Yeah. It's definitely wrong. Yeah. But nonetheless, so uh, so this guy, yes, he does do the wrong thing. But it makes me wonder if, and again, I might be stretching, but we are shown a scene of them in church. So I'm not just plucking something out of the air. Mm-hmm. Um, it's entirely possible that. You know, I go to church, you go to church, we're both Christian. That doesn't mean we do everything right all the time. In some, in some cases, we do things very wrong. Mm. Um, but we know the truth. Mm. We know how things should be. And so it's entirely possible that perhaps Mike and Jackie, even when Mike is in the midst of doing something wrong, he knows, okay, God has put this kid in my life. I need to rise to the occasion. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and actually, we'll, we'll, I think we will now read the, uh, the rest of the uh, Bible verses. All right, so I'll start us off. Uh, this is James 1, verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Uh, so that one is fairly obvious, you know. It's a, it's kind of a cliche thing to say. It's like, look after widows and orphans, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's a biblical precedent for it here in James. Um, and it's just, and and a little bit of uh, historical context, um, you know, women did not have a great deal of power um, at that time. Mm. And really, their status came from who, you know, who they were married to. So if they're not married to anyone. So if they're not married to anyone or if they, you know, they did have status, now suddenly they don't because their husband is dead. Like, there is a specific, uh, specific, a specific kind of uh, 
of pity uh, for them um, and a certain degree of not necessarily disdain or contempt, but just, I don't know, like think about, think about like a friend of yours who was doing well and then suddenly isn't like, there's just like a, uh, that's, there's an awkwardness, I think maybe a social awkwardness that surrounded them. And so people didn't really have much of a heart for them. And so this is specifically saying like, you need to, uh, you need to reach out to those people. And of course, orphans, I mean, it was very much a family culture. And so while certainly, uh, parents, put a lot of stock in their children, their sons specifically. Um, you know, if you were a parentless kid, then like you really didn't have a future. Uh, cause you didn't, nobody knew who you, where you came from or, you know, what your family was or anything like that. So, yeah. you know, these are the two groups along with lepers, but that's, uh, it's pretty well documented that Jesus, uh, reached out to them as well. But, uh, these, these are the two groups. And of course it can be, extended to really any group that is social outcasts and it is not, uh, they're not very popular and you will become uh, like less popular if, if you uh, reach out to them, but we are required to do that. That is the kind of religion that God accepts as pure and faultless. So, um, okay. We will go with first Peter four verses eight through 11. Josh, take us away. All right, this verse says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks with the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Okay. So, obviously that one um, says very clearly that, like, we are representatives of God mm-hmm. and and of Christ. And so, seeing it, and we, you don't want to misre- misrepresent somebody, especially when we see how Christ acted and and what he did and it was always self-sacrificing always putting other people first right and so if we are going to be his representative you know the the it's not so much a joke but the thing that i would that i always used to think is because it would say in in other verses that we are christ's ambassadors and so imagine if uh if like a u.s ambassador to another country it's like so america is like a fascist country and just totally misrepresented what our government is mm-hmm. um then that person would not be a very good ambassador and they would probably be fired. Um, and so, you know, we, we've been given great things, uh, and Christ has done great things for us. And so if we are to, uh, let's see, if we were to speak as though we speak the very words of God, like certainly we need to be careful in what we say, but we also need to, put other people first you know we need to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling as richard jenkins as walter does in the visitor as mike and jackie do in win-win um they just it's i know it's uh, you know almost too simple but it's the right thing to do and it is god ordered i do like that it specifies without grumbling too (laughs) just because it's it's that focuses on 
how it isn't just the act that's okay. It's not just you don't just help people and then you know you you can check something off your list. Like yeah. it has to be something that you do willingly. Because think about it. Like if somebody, if somebody, if you, if somebody's staying in your house and you are grumbling and you are upset that you have to have this person stay at your house. Maybe you're not even saying it to them, but just in general, you're saying it to your wife or something. That person will probably pick up on it and they will, they'll be like, well, they're letting me stay here, but I am not welcome. Mm-hmm. You know, and that certainly does not, uh, does not convey, uh, Christ's love. Now, of course, admit, admittedly, like even Christ said, like, you know, can this cut pass for me? Like he ne- didn't necessarily want to do, you know, go through the suffering, but once it was clear, like, this is what I have to do, then I can't think of anything less grumbling than God forgive them for they know not what they do, as opposed to, okay, I'm doing this, but screw these guys. <laughs> um, you know, and so uh, <laughs> I'll paraphrase my mom, and I think I have on the show before, uh, do it without the attitude or don't do it at all. <laughs> um, but uh, so Josh has, uh, spoke about community and the, uh, and that's something that as I've gotten older, I've come to, I, I've heard a lot about and come to realize how important it is to be part of a community, to have a, like a support system and all that sort of thing. And, uh, from a Christian standpoint, that's very important because there's accountability, there's encouragement, there's prayer, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff there. And so, um, so it's kind of become a, a standard thing to quote this, but that's because it's uh, worth noting. So uh, Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, uh, this is a description of the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Uh, that is, of course, a, a wonderful portrait of what it should be. Um, self-sacrifice. and But, like, not dour self-sacrifice, not <laughs> grumbling self-sacrifice. Yeah. Like, it talks about people you know, selling their position, uh, possessions and, and, you know, giving to one another, giving to the people that needed it. Um, but it also talked about like, you know, eating together and just conversing and just taking joy in one another's company. You know, all of us uh, should be Joe <laughs> from uh, the station agent. Um, and so, and I think that, you know, once you, there's a, there's a, a Christian like finance guy out there named Dave Ramsey who talked about his he is primarily a finance guy but he his his theories of of personal finance uh are based uh in biblical teachings and he talks about like you know he said my wife and i were you know we got ourselves out of debt and that freed us up to you know put our money in in more important things but also it freed us up to like help other people Mm -hmm. like i think he said that he wound up giving like a like a hundred dollar tip to a waitress or something like that, um, that, uh, that he and his wife had, had talked to. And I think she had like, she was like a single mother or something like that. So they gave her like a hundred dollar tip might've even been more. And he just talked about like, you know, when you give, it seems counterintuitive because like, well, you have less. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but in actuality it it created like such a sense of joy and just you realize like oh i can continue to exist even if i don't have as much as i did and at the and he's just talking about money but it could also be like your time like giving people your time and your effort and your ear um and just being there for somebody the way christ was there for us at the very least um i don't know it can it can actually engender a sense of joy you know much like paul giamatti's character is that first he takes the boy in because he feels like it's the thing he has to do and the thing he should do but by the end he wants to do it he's happy to do it um and so you know uh that's i guess what we can learn from these films and and maybe uh maybe the self-sacrifice will start out as a little grumbly but you know try to keep in mind what uh what has been done for you and uh and uh try to persevere and maybe the uh grumbling will will cease so uh josh did you have anything to 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 add to that no i don't think so okay uh well you can email if you have any uh thoughts or questions you can email uh me tyler at more than one lesson.com or josh josh at more than one lesson.com you can follow both of us on twitter i'm at more lessons and he is at the josh long uh, you can go to more than one lesson.com and you can find, you know, there's not a lot of postings on it on a regular basis, but you can find uh, sermon recommendations and uh, the occasional uh, blog post by our, uh, by our bloggers. Um, the next episode will be, <laughs> will be about the Avengers, which you've seen. <laughs> um, so there you go. Uh, and the companion film will be the Western, the Magnificent Seven, which maybe you have not seen. So if you want to be able to listen to the whole episode, uh, go and rent the Magnificent Seven and enjoy it because it's a lot of fun. And uh, the, we will do our best to make sure that the next episode it will be two weeks from come out two weeks from today. Uh, we want to we really want to try and, and buckle down and do one every two weeks. So uh, you know. We, we will try very hard to make sure that happens. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. Thank you. And I'll get you next time. Bye.